Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? All right, man, this service is really doing well. Just for your information, we have an 830 service. Just saying. Uh, (laughs) You know, God has really been blessing us lately. Last week we had over 1,400 people. Um, watch one of our services either in person or online, and we're excited about that. And I appreciate you telling your friends. Um, one thing I, I want to kind of clear something up that I know has been a little confusing. We've been advertising about Night to Shine and Remarkable Evening. And Night to Shine is the, the prom-like event that we put on for um, our special needs community. And um, we've been doing that with Tim Tebow's foundation, and it's been called Night to Shine. And they have decided again this year, like they did last year, to do a virtual event. And so, because we decided we wanted to do an in-person event, um, because of trademarks and all those different issues, we're having a remarkable evening, which looks remarkably similar to what A Night to Shine is, and yet is different, because it's called A Remarkable Evening. And so, that's why we're kind of pushing both. Um, so that people, even if they come to our event, they can still um, download and see the, um, the video from uh, Night to Shine. But having said all that, we still need some volunteers. We have 60-plus um, that have signed up to come and be a part of that evening. It's one of the most um, amazing and special things that we do. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, you can go to our, um, our website at greenwood.church, go under events, and, and you'll find a remarkable evening and volunteer um, to help us there. We need volunteers in different areas, and we hope you'll be there for that. Um, you know, we sang a song a few minutes ago uh, that we have a good, good father. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, and then we sang also lines about um, how everything he does to us is perfect in every way. Can I get an amen? amen? And today we're going to talk about how sometimes he sends a messenger of Satan to buffet us. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. <laughs> That's about how I thought that was going to go, but anyway. You know, it it sounds a little odd, but the fact of the matter is, what I'm going to talk to you about, there are some difficulties in this. It's hard to hear sometimes. But I want you to remember, first and foremost, that everything our our God does towards us is perfect in every way. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. And if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, we're going to read that first. And if you'd please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Second uh, Corinthians, I may have said first, excuse me. Second Corinthians 12, beginning in, in verse 5. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the, the first thing I want us to take from this is the first thing, one of the first things that Paul says is, look, I don't want anybody to give me credit. You know, God had already used him in some mighty ways. Um, his conversion experience was as dramatic as they come. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, the glorified Jesus, and, and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he told him, he said, I, I got plans for you. I'm going to use you. And so uh, he, he was blinded there on the road. Um, what he had talked about right before these verses was how God had given him a vision. He said, I don't know if I was literally taken up into heaven or if it was a vision or what, but that God showed him parts of his plan that no other man had seen. And so Paul never talked about some of the specifics of that, but we've got um, generalized some of the, the particulars of it throughout his writings. But Paul was used. He, he spoke about Christ before kings. He spoke about Christ before tribunals. He spoke about Christ in all, all across the world in mission trips. He also suffered some things during that time. He was shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake that he survived. He was beaten. He was stoned. He had to escape. One time they lowered him in a basket over the city wall to escape certain death. And so Paul had experienced some things, but Paul had seen God use his life, his message, and the words that he gave about who God is in some miraculous ways. And so what I want us to get from that, first of all, is, is the fact that Paul refused to take credit. And Here's the deal with that. We were created to glorify God. Now, here's the thing about it, is that Paul said, I will boast only about my weaknesses. He said, I will not boast about anything else. He said, I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. And what could they see was Jesus. He was confident in that. What could they hear in his message? It was Jesus. And so we were given, every single one of us, has purpose when we glorify God in our lives. That's what we were created for. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes was Solomon. He was the wisest man, the Bible said, to ever live. And so he starts out in Ecclesiastes. He said, I tried everything. And Ecclesiastes is a little bit of a depressing book. He said, hey, I went out and did this, and I realized it was vanity. It was a waste of time. It meant nothing. And so he goes through all these different things in the book about what, what does it mean to, to, to devote your life to hard work? What does it mean to devote your life to this? What does it mean to give it to that? And after all this book, he comes to one conclusion. And in the last verses of Ecclesiastes, he gives us the sum of everything he's learned through his, his life of wisdom and of seeking out what really mattered in life. And here's what he says. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. He tells us, look, in sum, all these things, here's what matters. Fear God and follow his word. And when he's talking about fearing God, he's not using the word about cowering in a corner, being afraid. He means live life 
in awe and in reverence and give him glory in everything that you do. You were created to glorify God. And it's only in those, it's in that that we find our greatest purpose and that we discover who we really are. You know, there's really just nothing like when God uses you for something, is there? You know, when you're able to help somebody in need, when you're able to give them a word of encouragement, and maybe God helps you to share a Bible verse with them, or you pray with somebody, there's nothing like being used by God and glorifying His name in service and in word and in action and in deed. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, listen, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. From the smallest thing to the greatest thing, you're doing it to bring glory to God's name, not your own. Now, that's a temptation, isn't it? Pride is a temptation for each one of us. And pride is the exact opposite of glorifying God. Pride is when we look around and we think, man, look what I've done. Look what I've got. Look what I've achieved. Pride is when we allow someone's flattery to change the course of our life. Pride is when we start thinking, well, I deserve this or I deserve that. That's pride. Pride is when we start thinking, well, why aren't they meeting my needs? Why aren't they doing for me? Pride is always about me. And you know what? Every single one of us in here at some point or another and in some way struggle with pride. And so that was the essence of what Paul's talking about. He said, look, I, he'd been used in these great ways, and he also understood that pride was a temptation. You know, here's the thing. He said, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, people have tried to figure out what that was for years and years and years, hundreds of years. Some speculated that it was some kind of gastrointestinal disorder. Some have speculated that his, you know, maybe his eyesight was going. Who knows what it was, but it was some kind of a physical ailment that was a chronic issue throughout his whole life from that point on. It was an issue that kept coming up, kept coming up, and it was given to him so that he would not fall to pride. Pride brings failure. Pride goes before a fall what the scripture tells us. And here's a couple things I want you to see about pride. That I, I know we think, well, what's the big deal? I mean, pr pride, it, it's, it's something in your heart, yeah. But is it really as bad as murdering somebody? Is it as bad as maybe doing this or doing that or whatever? I, here's one of the things I want you to understand about pride is pride has the potential not only to wreck your life, but to wreck people around you because of the decisions that you make and because of the things that you do because of pride. I bet there's not a guy in here, probably a lady as well, that couldn't tell a story about something where people told them, hey, don't do this. And they were like, oh man, you know, I'll, that ain't gonna happen to me. Can I get a witness? Has anybody here got a story like that? And you went ahead and did it anyway and it wrecked you, didn't it? Maybe it wasn't like a huge one. Maybe it was a little one. Maybe it was somewhere in between, but it wrecked you. Because in your pride, you thought, 
well, I know that happened to them, and I know these people are telling me not to do it, but I can make this work. I can do this. And we tried it anyway. See, that's the thing about pride, is it has the, the ability to wreck us and to wreck those around us. And here's something else about that sin. You might think, well, what's the big deal about it? Here's something that's different about it. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you ser serve each other in humility. For, listen to this, God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. See, here's the thing about pride. It puts you in opposition to God. It doesn't just say that God hates pride. God hates all sin, but God opposes those who are proud. You know, with all my kids at some point or another, I, I've, I've tried my, I've, I've, I'm a flawed father. Now I'm going to be a perfect grandfather. I'm going to tell you that. I, I got a grandbaby now. And I done told them, when she stays in my house, she wants ice cream for breakfast, that's fine by me. We're going to have ice cream for breakfast. But I, I will admit to have been a flawed father. But here's the deal. There are times, particularly when pride comes up and comes out in being disrespectful or trying to, to um, defy something that I've laid down as a, as a law or a rule in my home, is let me tell you something, it immediately puts me in opposition to them. Now, I still love them, and because I love them, I'm in opposition. Because here's the thing, I want them to be able to go out into the world and be able to live in such a way that they bring honor and glory to their Father who's in heaven, and that they can function in the world that we live in. And so here's the deal, I'm, I'm not all right with them going out being prideful. I'm not all right with them being disrespectful. Because that's going to cause all kinds of problems. I love them enough to correct that when it happens. And sometimes that puts me in opposition to them. And they don't like opposition. I don't like it either. But I love them enough that I'm not going to allow them to go ahead and go through with that sinful behavior. So we're going to have a problem. And here's the deal. God loves you enough that when you become prideful, he will be in opposition to you. Because he knows that that pride can wreck you in ways that you can't even imagine right now. You want to see people getting wrecked because of pride? Read through First and Second Kings and see the kings of Israel and the ones that humbled themselves before God and how God honored that and the ones that were filled with pride and how God broke them to see how serious that pride is in the life of someone else. And here's the other thing about pride. Pride is our national pastime in this country right now. In the culture we live in, it's rampant. Paul warned us. You know, I told you that Paul was given insight into, into things that most didn't see. And one of those things was he got a glimpse of what it was going to be like down the road before Jesus returned. And here's what he tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. Man, if there was anything that would summarize the age we're living in, it'd be that phrase right there. 
They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, here's the interesting thing about that passage is that pride is mentioned in that passage several times. People will love them only themselves. That's pride. People will be boastful and proud. There's pride. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will be puffed up with pride. Pride is mentioned over and over and over again in the symbol and the, the prophecy of what the last days is going to look like. Pride is going to mark that age. So here's the deal. God is opposed to the proud, and being prideful is a, is a, a symbol of the last times, of difficult days. Very difficult times. Those are the times that we live in. Pride is a serious thing. So here's the hard part of that verse, is the idea of a messenger from Satan being used by God. Now, that's not the only time in Scripture it talks about that. Satan went before God in the book of Job and asked permission. And you know what? God gave it to him to test Job. And so here's the thing about the difficult things that come into our life. I want you to understand, not every difficult thing is because God sent it to you to discipline you. But sometimes it is. There's different ways that we go through trials, that we experience physical things, that we experience suffering and difficulties, all of which Paul talked about. One of those is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin brought death into the world and sickness and cancer and all these other things that come. And so just because somebody gets sick or they get cancer, it's not because God's punishing them. It's usually just because we live in a fallen world. But I also want you to understand that some of the tough things that come in life are sent by God to change us, to help us, and to discipline us. Some of them are just because we live in that kind of world. And we live in a fallen world. We have fallen natures, and things happen. Now, there's something I want you to get. Even when those difficult things come in life, and they're not something that we caused, it wasn't because we made a choice. Sometimes they come from our choices. Sometimes difficult times come because we made choices, and those are the consequences here on this earth. You see, the, the Word of God tells us that we're never going to have to face the ultimate consequence for our sin, and that is judgment from God because of what we've done. But He doesn't promise to protect us from the consequences of sin that happen as a result of our actions. You know, you... There's a difference, and we know that. You know, I, I might have anger in my heart towards somebody. And I have forgiveness from that through Jesus, but there may be a consequence. It may affect my relationship. It might affect my relationship with God for a period of time. Now, I'm still his son, but it might break the fellowship. So there's that consequence. 
But there's a different consequence if I have anger in my heart towards somebody and I go up and punch them in the nose. Now there's going to be other consequences besides the spiritual ones. So sometimes the decisions that we make cause consequences to happen here on this earth. And we got to deal with those. Here's the promise, okay? The promise is that God promises that when we go through difficult trials, when we go through difficult things in life, that God can use that for the good in our life. Romans 8, 28 says, God works all things to the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Does that, does that, does, when the Bible says all things, does that mean some things or does that mean all things? That means all things. So even the difficult things in life, maybe that we even caused, hey, God's not going to hide us from the consequences, but he can make something good out of that. It says in uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Therefore, we have been, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That's talking about the inheritance that we have eternally with Christ, in heaven with God. <clears throat> but then he says we can rejoice too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Here's something that's true for us as believers. There are things that God can only do in your life and in your heart when you are in a place in life where your only hope is for God's deliverance or God's provision or God's healing or God's help, you are, there are some things that God can only do in those moments. Y'all remember the story of David, <clears throat> how he defeated Goliath. Well, the thing about it was David had no business fighting Goliath. He wasn't even fully developed as a man yet. He was a teenager. He hadn't fully developed muscles and, and what he would become later as a man. When Saul put his armor on him and said, here, take my armor, it just fell off of him. He, it was too big for him to even carry. David was a teenager who didn't have enough strength on his own to be fighting a giant. So how did he get to that place where he was willing and where he knew that God was going to fight for him? He tells, he said, look, I, I've, I've fought the bear. I've fought the lion. And because I've done those things, I know that God will deliver this giant into my hands. So here's the deal. When we go through every difficult thing that we go through in life, God can use that to develop endurance and strength and character and hope. And there's some hope and some character and some strength that we will only get after coming through an event like that. And so there are different reasons why God allows trials and difficulties and physical ailments to come into our life. He can use those. What is that endurance good for? The next time we have a trial, the next time we have a difficulty, you know, Looking back in my life, and I know many of you would have a testimony like this, 
the most significant times and events in my life were times when I was brought to a place of complete weakness where there was literally nothing that I could do. I knew there was no way forward unless God opened a door or God delivered or God provided or God did something. It was my only hope. Totally broken down. You know, some prayers you pray, and I bet y'all have too, where you've prayed and you're still working, you're still trying, and then when that prayer was answered, you had doubt in my mind. Well, did, did God do that or did I do it? But there are some prayers that because of your weakness and because there's no other hope, you knew God came through. You knew God answered that prayer. And that gives you the strength to face the next thing. And see, here's the thing. Out of all three of those, which one should David have been most afraid of? He wasn't scared of the giant. He knew that his God could deliver. And he knew that his God would give him the strength and give him what he needed to defeat that enemy. And that's what you get when you go through those difficult times. Now, sometimes God brings difficulty in his hands upon us because he's disciplining us, because he loves us. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says, Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Now, I've been disciplined by God before. There was, in, in one particular time, there was a time when I knew God's hand was heavy on me and I knew why. And I prayed just like Paul did. God, deliver me from this. God, remove this from me. God, stop this. But I knew that it was God's discipline. Now, let me tell you something. This was years and years ago. I've made a lot of mistakes since that time. But I ain't never made that one again. I'm going to tell you right now. Because God's discipline was such on me, and it made such an impression that I'm like, I'm not doing that again. Not ever. And I haven't. And so here's the thing. God's discipline for us is because He loves us. Now I know the thing that I did, it didn't disqualify me from ministry. It wasn't a life-wrecking thing, but it could have been if left unchecked. It could have become that if God hadn't chosen to discipline me and to deal with that right then and in that, in that period of time. And because of that, I came out of it better. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. I'm not. God's discipline, when it comes on us, there is nothing wrong when things start falling apart or things start going wrong or whatever. It's a good thing to go before God and say, God, is this your hand? Is this you trying to change something in me that I've been reluctant or I've been fighting the change? God will speak to you. He'll give you the answer. It may not be right away. There's nothing wrong with going through that checklist. Have I, did I make a choice? Did I make a decision that caused this? Is this because God's disciplining me? Is this because God's trying to test me? Or it may just be that something bad happened. 
And we got to hang on to the part that, you know what? God can use this. You know, Jesus told, told uh, Peter, he told him, he said, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And I pray for you that you're going to be strong enough. So here's the deal. Satan asked permission and he received it. And you might think, man, I, I don't want God to give. I get it. But the Peter that Jesus was speaking to then and the Peter that later on stood up in front of the, the Sanhedrin, in front of all the religious leaders who were accusing him and said, when they, when they finally told him, just don't preach the gospel in the name of Jesus anymore, he looked him in the eye and said, Can we, is it right for us to please you or to please God? We're going to please God. He told them right there to their face, I'm going to keep preaching. And you know what? After being beaten, they sent him out. And here's what Peter did. The same guy that at one point at night denied even knowing Jesus to a slave girl that had no power to do anything to him is the same Peter that later on walked out of that room after looking all those men in the eye and saying, we're going to please God rather than you and rejoiced that they had been found worthy to be persecuted. You see, that was weakness that denied knowing Jesus to a little slave girl and the two others that night. But that was God's strength that transformed him into one that became a bold and powerful witness who gave glory to God in everything that he did. That was the change. And you know what? If you ask Peter if it was worth it, I don't presume generally to speak for anybody else, but I guarantee you he'd tell you a thousand times yes. Because it changed me. God's discipline is not to punish us for what's happened, is to discipline us for who we need to become. And here's the thing, as hard as that is to hear, and as much as there's not a person in this room, me included, who would say, oh, that sounds cool, bring on some discipline. None of us would say that. But we have a God that loves us enough that he will discipline us. And that song we sang is just as true in light of that same statement as it is when we're talking about God's blessings, that his, he is perfect in all of his ways to us. He is perfect when he is blessing us. He is perfect when he is allowing us to go through a trial. He is perfect to us when he is disciplining us. Even though we won't, don't find it enjoyable at the time, his will and His way towards us is perfect. I get it. This is not the part that we all get all excited about. But maybe the next part will be. And that is that it, trials, difficulties, oftentimes reveal weakness. And you know what the Bible says? There is power in weakness. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense, does it? How could there be power in weakness? Paul says three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, 
my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Now, the tense of that verb, I don't usually talk about Greek stuff most of the time because I want you to trust and you can trust the Word of God. But here's the tense of that verb in 2 Corinthians where he said, and each time he said, that tense is, is more like he once for all said to me. In other words, what he said then is an eternal truth forever. He once for all said this. Each time he once for all said this, my grace is all you need. Power is perfected in weakness. Why is that so important to learn that? You know, we talked about how David had been through some things, that he was ready for the giant. Well, guess what? There were some, there were some trials still coming. Saul hadn't tried to kill him. He wasn't on run for his life. He wasn't out running for his life yet. He wasn't trying to lead the whole nation. He wasn't leading his men into battle. He wasn't, there, there were a lot of things that were coming that in some ways were bigger than a giant. <clears throat> you know, here, here's what's significant. David understood, even though physically he was weak, he was strong in God's power. And not only, you remember when he went out and he, the Bible is very specific about some things and then not specific about others. And so we got to be careful about taking things where God wasn't specific and trying to make it specific. But whenever there's something specific, we ought to wonder, why does it say that? You know what it said? It said David went out and he picked up five stones. It's like, why? Why five? I mean, if, if I feel like it's going to take me more than one, I'm going to get all I can carry. Anybody, I mean, you know, buy more ammo, whatever your deal is. I get it. <laughs> I understand that. So, but why five? Well, that number's significant because Goliath had four brothers who were also giants. And over the course of time, David or, or the men he was fighting with faced them all and defeated them all. So here's what you take. Anytime you're in that place of, of weakness, maybe it's a physical thing that, that goes on or, or, or it's, a, it's something that happens in life. What God wants us to get from that is the power that he gives us to get through it. You see, that's what he told Paul. Paul's like, God, this, this is making me weak. Take this away. And he said, look, my grace is enough for you. What I give you freely that you didn't earn is enough. And you're going to figure out that this thing that makes you weak is going to make you stronger because it's going to cause you to rely more on me. And my power is best, is perfect in weakness. So here's the deal. When, when David went out there, he's fighting a guy that's nine foot tall and had a spear that weighed 200 pounds. That spear weighed more than David did. Can you imagine you getting hit by a spear that big? David didn't have the strength to defeat that giant. 
He knew God would give it to him. And not only that, he knew God was going to give him what he needed for the next job when Goliath's brothers came to fight. He was prepared. That's what going through times of weakness and going through times of difficulty does. And see, here's the deal. The first time when I was in one of those situations where I knew the, my only hope was, was God. My only hope is you, Jesus. I got nothing else. Nothing I can do out of my control. And if you don't show up and do something, it's going to destroy me. At least that's the way it felt. And so the first one I went through, I saw that God brought me through it. And so then the second one, I'm like, all right, God, I know this isn't going to destroy me, but I still can't get through. You're the only one that can answer this prayer. You're the only one that can fix this. I can't do anything about it. See, I knew the second time it wasn't going to destroy me. Now, the third time comes around, and, and it just doesn't seem quite as big. It was probably a bigger situation, but I wasn't worried about it like I was in the first two because I'd seen God's power. And I knew that when I was weak, but I was following him, that I, had, I would have more strength than I needed and that God would do what I couldn't. And so that is the beauty of difficult times. And even though we think, man, I, there's not any of us that would choose, hey, God, I'm ready for another trial. I get it. There's not any of us that would choose to be disciplined. There's not any, any of us that would choose for God to allow something that is tragic to happen in our lives. But the thing is that those circumstances or when God shows his power. And when God prepares us for what's coming next. And the good thing is, when that comes, it's not going to seem as big as the thing you're in front of or you're in the middle of right now. Some of y'all are in the middle of something. And it seems like it's overwhelming. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, you just can't duplicate what it's like when you realize that your weakness is an invitation to God's strength. And that weakness, that, that, that means a laying down. God, I, I can't do this. I can't do anything about this. God, I am wholly dependent upon you. You know, we can choose to do that. You don't have to wait for a, an event for a hardship, for a trial, for a difficulty. And that's when we're the strongest. It's when we recognize that even, even the strength we have is never enough, and it's nothing compared to the strength that we have when we lay our strength down and trust Him. 1 Corinthians 4.20 Kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. 
It's living by God's power. The kingdom of God is about living in power that is beyond ourselves. Those things that you think are insurmountable, I could never be used by God because of blah, blah, blah. Guess what? If it's a sin, that sin's been forgiven. God can use you. He can use you in your testimony. He can use you in your message. And He can use you to minister to others. There is nothing that can defeat God. Nothing. There is no giant you face that He cannot give you the strength to destroy. But you've got to trust Him. And here's the thing, as hard as it is, we've got to recognize that we are going to experience. Jesus didn't give it, he, he, he gave it to us straight up. He said, look, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also told them, take heart, because I've overcome the world. Living a Christian life and following Jesus, being a follower, a disciple of Christ, is not about having blessing after blessing after blessing. It's about recognizing that the blessing of being forgiven of your sins is the greatest blessing you'll ever receive. And it comes through faith in Jesus. And that the life we now live, we live by the power of God. It doesn't mean we won't have trouble. But what it means is, is that we have a God that is stronger than all our troubles. <clears throat> it's hard to accept sometimes. Nobody looks forward to discipline. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants a trial. Nobody wants a difficulty in life. But when they come, I'm not saying you seek them, you shouldn't. But when they come, know that you have everything you need to get through it. And remember to, to glorify God. When He answers your prayers, when He delivers you, when He shows up in strength, don't allow anyone to give you the credit. Make sure they know that it's the God you love and the God you live for that provides all you need according to His riches and glory. Now the first thing, <clears throat> if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to have one because that, without that relationship, you don't have that. That comes through knowing Jesus. That comes through Christ. And we want you to know Jesus. And there's three simple things you got to do have a relationship with him. Number one, you got to admit you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the word tells us. So the second thing is this. You got to, after you admit you're a sinner, is you got to believe that Jesus is God's son. That he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose on the third day to give you life. And then the last part, and this is where you, you don't just believe things now you're going to, now you're going to, it's a gift from God, but now you're going to grasp hold of that gift. Is you got to ask forgiveness of your sins, repent from them, turn away from them. Turn to Him. You got to believe Jesus is God's Son, 
And then the last thing is you got to confess him as Lord. Hey, I'm yours now. Do with me as you will. You got to confess Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, that you have peace with God through faith in Jesus, and that that's an eternal thing forever. If you'd like to know that, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me right now. So if every head would please bow and every eye close. You can pray this prayer with me. Just pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. God will hear you. You can repeat the words that I pray or you can pray it in your own words, whatever's more comfortable for you. But pray it with me right now. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me and thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart, my life. Cleanse me. And make me yours. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose on the third day, according to scripture. And so today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess Him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today and, and, and you meant it, here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I just want you to look up here at me. Just look up at me right now. Make eye contact, okay? All right? Just keep looking until I see you. All right? Now here's what I want to tell you. The moment that you did that, your sins are forgiven. Your name's been written down in a book in heaven that can never be erased. And you are at peace with God. He's declared you righteous. Your sins are forgiven. They've been wiped away. Now comes the part where you learn to walk with Jesus. And we'd love to help you with that. If you're watching online and you made that decision or you're here in person, there's a number on our screen you can look up. Just text, I did it to that number. And we will get in touch with you and set up a time with us on the phone or in person to answer any questions you have about your decision. And we'd love to talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. Now I want to tell you right up front, you don't have to come to this church. We're not going to ask anything from you. We simply want to help you take those next steps and know what they are to follow Jesus. And so we'd love to talk to you. Now, you're welcome to come back here. We'd love to have you, but that's not a prerequisite. We want to help you no matter what. So get in touch with us. Talk to a staff member after church. We'd love to talk to you whenever about your new relationship with Jesus. If you're interested in church membership, you can text membership to that same number and we'll get back to you. Right now, I want to pray for those that made that decision to trust Christ. Pray for each of us. I know some of you are going through difficult times. I want to pray for you right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love to us. 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough to discipline us, to send your son Jesus so that we wouldn't have to endure eternal penalties for sin. And thank you, Lord, that, that everything you do to us is for our good. Even when it, it doesn't feel good at the time, Lord, we know your heart. We know you love us. And we know that you're a good father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for those that came to a decision today to trust you. Pray, God, that you'd strengthen them by your word, by your spirit. Father, help us, Lord, to, to guide them and encourage them in their new walk with you. And Lord, I pray for those that are going through those times of difficulty right now. That, Father, even as they turn to you, that, God, your strength would flow. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement of your word and the truth and the honesty of your word. Father, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.